This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast. Welcome to Property Patter. Today, I'm joined by Chris Sullivan, Head of Dispute Resolution at Hollis, and by Georgina Musket, one of our senior associates in the real estate disputes team here at Charles Russell Speechley's. We're talking today about the Landlord and Tenant Act 1954, and in particular, the ground on which a landlord can oppose renewal of a business lease on the basis of redevelopment, and that, of course, is known as Ground F. The plan today is to have a chat with Chris and Georgina, um, uh, particularly because Chris was involved in the 2019 Supreme Court case of S. Francis, which I'm sure many listeners will have heard about. Um, And so uh, our plan is to have a little chat about that case. We also here acted for a landlord in a successful reported Ground F case against Santander a few years ago. So I guess what we're looking to do is to learn our lessons or share our lessons um, from those cases um, and our experience in this area, um, which is certainly an interesting one. Um, But let's start off with some basics, as we always do, and let's talk about the basic criteria when it comes to ground F. It isn't simply enough to just carry out any old redevelopment works in order to satisfy ground F. Um, Chris, perhaps if you wouldn't mind starting us off, perhaps you'd explain to our listeners what type of work a landlord has to intend to carry out in order to satisfy ground F. Well, look, demolition is a really good start. If you're going to start knocking around the building, um, that's that's definitely the best place to be going about your redevelopment scheme. So the more demolition, the better. Now, in, invoking ground F is you're ultimately denying somebody of their statutory right to continue to occupy. So the scheme really has to be big enough, substantial enough. Um, so the, the actual test, and I'm not going to read it um, verbatim, but um, <clears throat> ultimately the landlord needs to show an intention, and I'm sure you're going to come on to that later, to demolish or reconstruct the whole or a substantial part or carry out substantial works of construction on the holding or, or part thereof. And so I think if we're thinking about the physical works, you want to be removing walls, punching holes through floors, excavating, raising or lowering a floor, um, <clears throat> or building walls or structures inside the particular area inside the holding. It might be a new lift going into a critical part of the premises that impacts occupation. Um, <clears throat> so the, the requirement to do that has got to be to the actual holding itself. So yeah, those kind of things um, are, the, are the, the bread and butter of any ground F case. Yeah, and that's what I always say as well to clients is, you know, you've, you've got to try and look to make things as, you know, the word substantial is used in this section and it's used for good reason. It, it, it needs to feel pretty chunky, doesn't it? <laughs> um, and, yeah. and as you mentioned there, you know, intention obviously also really important. Georgina, when it comes to intention, what the landlords need to be demonstrating on that front? So there are two main elements of intention, subjective element and an objective element. And the landlord has to show that intention at the date of the hearing, the date of the trial. So in practice, this means that, first of all, landlords got to show a fixed and settled uh, wish to do what they say they intend to do. So the famous quote from the landlord is that their plans must have moved out of the zone of contemplation into the valley of decision. So if you're a corporate body, then your evidence for that element of the intention is going to be your board minutes, basically showing that you're genuinely intending to carry out the works. 
And then the second element of intention is showing that you've got a reasonable prospect of actually being able to bring about the development. So your evidence for that element of things is things like having the necessary finance in place, um, any relevant permissions. So if you need planning permission, ideally, obviously, you want to have that in place before your trial, although you don't have to plans, specifications, um, contracts with building contractors, um, things like that. And if the landlord can't show those two things, then they're not going to succeed in establishing ground F. Um, you mentioned the case of S. Francis at the beginning. So the Supreme Court's decision in S. Francis brought, brought about a third potential test, which has been referred to by Lord Sumption as the acid test. And that's essentially whether or not the landlord would carry out the same set of works if the tenant left voluntarily. So historically, it's always been the case that a landlord's motive or purpose in sort of carrying out the works is irrelevant. And the Supreme Court said that's still the case. But what what they were talking about was the nature and the quality of the intention. So they said, if you've got a conditional intention like that, i.e. if the landlord wouldn't do the works if the tenant just left voluntarily after you served your Section 25 notice, then that's not a fixed and settled intention. It's not good enough um, to, to establish the relevant intention. So there are two main elements, and then S. Francis just brings in that third conditionality test. Yeah, and S. Francis was very interesting from that perspective. I remember us all trying to work out where we thought the Supreme Court was going to end up um, in its decision making. Um, in your experience, Chris, I mean, has S. Francis led to many difficulties for landlords in redeveloping as was originally sort of anticipated? What are you seeing on the ground in those I mean, discussions? The, there was quite a lot of noise, wasn't there, after mm. the S. Francis case? It was... Um, it was yeah it was quite it was quite interesting in a way to be involved in. i mean the original case was so the the case that i was primarily involved in was the first instance case where um i was acting for the for the for the landlord who owned the hotel which they'd let to uh, part of it to west francis back in the early 90s when they were trying to get some extra revenue um and didn't need a bar or didn't think they needed a bar as big as it was and um you know, my involvement really was to look at the scheme and try and work out whether their scheme was, you know, in the usual way, big enough. Whether works works of substantial construction, redevelopment, et cetera, et cetera. And from a from a straight line perspective, you know, they they were the works that they, that they put to me were pretty straightforward. Now, the planning permission and the intention that um, was touched on by Georgina was so pertinent here. So it was literally eleventh hour. I think it was the day before my report went in, I was sent a new set of documents and a new set of plans, which said, right, we were pleading instead of the works that we'd originally intended, something which doesn't require planning permission, because we don't yet have planning permission. So as you can imagine, planning permission, you need, a plan, um, you need permission to put a new doorway in, you need permission to build a new wall between two units, and then you really can't do anything within two meters was the advice from the front wall. So you had this weird scheme where you had one door into one end of the unit, and then you had no doorway coming to the second unit, and then you had a, a wall that separated the two, and you could just walk straight between the two at the front of it. So it was all a bit bonkers. So the whenever I hear about um, S. Francis and you know and and how much of a, a landmark case it was, and I always sort of go back to you know really it was the, the works that were intended um, were 
you know, reasonably sound in terms of their um, on how they were being presented. But because it was such a bonkers case in regards to the planning, I think it changed the legal strategy and ultimately pushing on, well, does it really matter if we're only doing these works just to get rid of you? You know, and that was, I think, ultimately where the um, um, where the legal thrust came about. So there was loads of noise. Um, and I think, you know, certainly for a few for a few months, um, everybody's just started panicking a little bit and thinking that was it, it was over, they couldn't get tenants out of their, their buildings anymore. But I suppose what I have noticed is um, people are a lot more prepared. So I would regularly get cases coming through, um, with, uh, you know, people coming through and they've got, you know, a, someone's drawn on the back of a fag packet or, you know, a, a, a contractor's done a, a sketch um, saying, this is my scheme. And I'm like, well, I don't really know. What do you want me to do with this? You know, I can't, I don't know what work you're doing off the back of that. I don't understand. You know, have you got planning permission? Um, have you gone to tender? Have you, you know, none of those things really were, were present in, um, with smaller developers, that's been a common theme for the last, I don't know, 15 or so years that I've been involved in this sort of work. But yeah, people are coming much more prepared. And that's, that's, you know, way better, because I do turn schemes away. If um, someone approaches me and says, you know, can you, can you advise on this? And I'm like, I could write a report on it. But I'm almost certain that you wouldn't like anything that I had to say on it. I think you're, you're better off actually, you know, thinking about the scheme and whether it's actually deliverable before you come and talk to a lawyer or talk to myself. So yeah, that's, that seems to be my experience, Emma. Yeah, actually, you're just reminding me because I think it's I think I've been dealing with a 54 for 23 years. Oh, my God. And uh, yeah, and actually, you're quite right. When when I first started uh, advising on ground F, it used to be people rocking up to a meeting going, kind of, we, we want to do this tomorrow. Like, can we just get the tenant out? <laughs> and I'd be saying, well, no, there's a sort of, you know, you have to satisfy some hurdles and you have to show, you know, this, that and the other. And um, yeah, and, and it was sort of often quite used to be, I mean, you know, these were these were fairly sophisticated lenders, but often quite used to people that this might take a while, actually. Um, and it wasn't just sort of a given and everything else. So yeah, it's funny, isn't it? it, it people are, I, I agree with you. Now the meetings I attend about a potential ground F case, people are a lot more prepared and a lot more clued up. And, and maybe as Francis has been a, a part of that in the way that because it was so interesting because it went to the supreme court and you know people were all kind of like well where is this going uh we thought we knew the ground f tests um you know maybe it has just sort of reminded everybody that you have got to think quite carefully and have your evidence ready yeah and i think you know i think the other thing about um francis uh, and, and with other it's an eggshell tenancy effectively mm. so the structure wasn't part of it it was you know internal repairing lease um i remember it being referred to by um by a barrister as a bin bag um lease as well as an eggshell tenancy which i quite like just sort of the notion that you know it's just the stuff inside of that envelope and um and you know in order to be successful or to have a successful case in an eggshell tenancy you know you can't you can't demolish a structure really or, or if you do it's not relevant to the to the case and so you've got to take away you know the eggshell or the the bin bag if you don't mind that as, as the analogy I struggled with it but um, it's been burning a hole in the back of my mind since it was used and this is the first opportunity I think since to um, to let it flow so um, yeah I think there are challenges with those and I think the other thing to mention I, I think you'd um, touched on in some of the prep was that um, thinking about listed buildings you know there's a real tension there because ultimately you know if you haven't um, you can't go knocking down a you know an interesting piece of you know, an historical artifact or a 
facade to a building and if you haven't got permission to do it it, it plays back to Georgina's points on um, on intention so yeah there's a lot to consider these things and it's not you know it's not all for building surveyor that's for sure there's a lot of it's a team team job when you come to looking at these and the the, the planners and the property litigators all have to work um, very closely on these matters. I was just going to say, I think the, the exciting thing for lawyers was that my understanding was that this all came out from one question that Joanne Wicks uh, made in cross-examination, that this whole appeal just kind of stemmed from that. And the I think obviously S. Francis is a very extreme set of facts, but the situation that we would come across quite often is a landlord coming to us and saying, we want to do these works, but, you know, especially like with listed buildings, eggshell demise, things like that. What can we do to beef up our scheme of works to make sure that we satisfy ground F? And I think that was sort of the very um, like the alarm bells were ringing with landlords when S. Francis came out and they were like, oh, crikey, does this mean that we can't go to our lawyers, go to our surveyors and basically beef up our schemes if we're not, if the only reason we're doing elements of these works is so that we satisfy ground death. Yeah, yeah. and I think that, you know, the beefing up is, you know, that that was definitely something I, I believe I, I was in the Supreme Court when they were discussing it. And I think beefing up did come out in the Supreme Court. I remember thinking that was quite an interesting use of the vernacular. But it, it's definitely the case that, um, I mean, talking to, um, you know, Emma talking to Nick Dowding, as I know you know um, very well, back in the old days when there's questions of if, if you're trying to um, to get a tenant out, you know, you put a pile or you put a, um, a lift shaft or you put a, whatever it is right there, right slap bang in the middle. And I remember him being staircase. directed by a staircase, you know, whatever it is, wang it in wherever, wherever you think it should go that causes the most amount of disruption. I mean, that's, you know, that's not, um, that's clearly not on. And that's, I think, is the sort of thing that's been, um, been, been talked about. And yeah, I mean, I'm talking probably 20, 30 years ago with Nick, when he was being directed as, as junior counsel to, um, you know, tell someone to put a staircase in wherever it might have been. So um, it's, yeah, I think that the beefing up is, is bad practice. And when I get a scheme, it's, it's usually that they've they've properly thought it through and they've figured it all out. And uh, you know, I've got four on the case at the moment, which all of which have got trial windows. Um, and uh, actually two is against the same occupiers. I shouldn't talk too much about them, but they're so well prepared. They've got everything lined up. You know, all the things that we've been talking about here, the you know, the schemes are big, there's money set aside, um, there's there's you know, planning permissions in place, all that kind of stuff. They're super well prepared. And you know, that's what you that's a case that you know you want to be involved in because you're not going to be you know nobody wants to come away um having been involved in a case that's that's gone a little bit awry um even me on this francis case you say that chris but seriously where's the fun in that well quite you know <laughs> that's no challenge is it well prepared case not brought to you last minute that's not challenging at all <laughs> well come on i mean sometimes we do need a little, do need it a little bit easy true oh well that sounds like a dream client if they're arriving with uh, yeah that that uh, level of organization oh they um, had to be thought, i think they had to be shoved in that direction by 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 the lawyers first Emma, I should oh i'm sure i'm sure yeah. 
no, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I found S. Francis, I think everybody found S. Francis very interesting, but I completely agree with you, George. You know, it, it, it the decision has come out of an extreme set of facts, um, which, you know, certainly is not your everyday experience. And, and I can say, I do remember that cross-examination. So I'd, I was there and I think I'd gone there early. It was the first time I'd been cross-examined in ages. And um, Joanne Wicks was um, cross-examining the um, the client. And I remember just sort of coming, coming away thinking, oh my God, I'm next. And I was up the next morning and it was it was a very spicy cross-examination let's just say that and um i do i felt very sorry you know it wasn't really a, i don't think the the um uh, the person who's cross-examining was a you know not a property specialist in any way you know somebody in the hospitality industry that, that was responsible you know under the PL for for this part of the the budget or whatever it might have been so it was um it was, yeah, it was a real challenge. And I think it was a possibly a throwaway remark. I don't know. But these things all seem to just stem out of, yeah, curious little quirks in one thing that's been mentioned and it's spun into, um, yeah, this industry, I suppose, which, um, which gets more and more complex. Well, that's the problem. That's what people don't realise with litigation is actually a throwaway comment can lead to a whole line of thought and yeah. potential argument and uh, indeed a supreme court decision all about it so you know because evidence is is evidence yeah. um i mean one of the other issues i think I thought we might finish up touching on is that um parties also sometimes forget uh, or perhaps aren't aware about the issue of who needs to undertake these works um can be a bit tricky if the landlord wants to let to a new tenant who's going to carry out the works or perhaps sell to a developer. We see that a lot as well. Um, George, maybe if you want to cover that issue off, um, because that, again, we see that quite a lot, don't we? Sure. So the person or the entity doing the works does have to be the landlord, but that doesn't mean that the landlord personally has to you know be on site with the diggers doing the actual work so obviously they can instruct a building contractor and then in addition you will have circumstances where you've got the incoming tenant doing the works and that was the case in the decision that Emma and I were involved in Santander and LCP um, and that will be enough to satisfy ground F as long as it's done under a building lease and there's a sufficient degree of control by the landlord over the works so you, you've got to ensure that basically everything's being done with the approval of the landlord and under, under their inspection. Um, and that's been well established in the case law since the 1950s um, and subsequently reconfirmed in the Santander LCP case, where, interestingly, we got our county court decision um, and uh, the landlord was successful having satisfied ground F. And then um, after we had had our county court decision, there was the S. Francis Supreme Court hearing. And as part of that, the tenant Santander um, put in grounds of appeal to say that basically S. Francis was relevant because <clears throat> the situation was similar in the sense that the landlord had uh, restructured the documentation so that the incoming tenant was carrying out these works under a building lease in order to satisfy ground F. Um, and Santander tried to say, well, that's similar to S. Francis, because the only reason you're structuring it this way is to satisfy ground F. So an application for permission to appeal was made on that basis. 
And the High Court judge said, no, it's not akin to S. Francis, because actually in the cases that have come subsequently, most of those situations have been where landlord in an ideal situation would want to get the property off their hands and sell to a developer, but they couldn't do it that way and they needed to go down the building lease route. Um, and that's all, always been found to be fine. Um, so as I've already touched on, if a landlord is selling to a developer and it's the buyer who's completing the works, then that isn't going to be good enough to satisfy ground F. What you would have to do in that scenario is get your buyer to be the registered proprietor by the time of the hearing and then substitute them into proceedings so that they are the landlord at the relevant time, which obviously is quite a lot more trickier and it would depend on the timing as well, because you're having to establish your intention at the date of the hearing. It's definitely something to, to for people to bear in mind. And again, it comes back to our original point, really, doesn't it, about being prepared, thinking about these issues in advance and, you know, getting ready and getting the right advice. I mean, we, we were super happy, weren't we, George, in the Santander case, because, you know, the client came to us and it had already thought about all of these issues and, um, you know, the, the building lease was was spot on and we, we never really had any worries about it at all, didn't we? You know, it was, it was a dream. <laughs> Thank goodness. No, and I think it was a, quite a creative argument put forward by Santander's counsel on the permission to appeal application, but they were throwing everything that they could at it because they just wanted to stay in that location. Mm. There's definitely been some of those. I was involved in one um, top end of, uh, of um, oh gosh, what was it, Upper Sloan Street, where um, uh, it was a very traditional 1960s shoe shop who, um, very, very glamorous, um, and they were desperate to stay, absolutely desperate to stay, and they ended up in a, a particularly bitter battle with their, their landlord. And I think we settled a week before the trial on that one, which was always um, um, great. You can you can tell the ones that are desperate to stay, but um, you know when it's so so important to them, they're so proud to be in that specific um, one location. Um, well, I think at the same time, I had um, a couple of uh, uh, sort of pound shop retailers scrapping it out in, in Blackpool. Um, so I had to sort of pick between those two cases, which was um, which was quite a challenge. But there was something just sprung to mind, which whether it makes whether the, whether this makes the cut or not, we'll wait and see. But um, one of the things that I discovered um, or I'd, I'd looked into, so part of the things you have to exclude from your analysis are works which the tenant already has a responsibility for. So, um, so alterations that often plays into this. So, if if an if an if a tenant's fixture uh, is a, well, if a fixture is a tenant's or a landlord's is is relevant, but also whether they're obliged to remove it or not. So, if there's a, there's a substantial part of the property which is something the tenant may have put in at some point in the past, um, and and the landlord isn't requiring that to be removed as part of dilapidations, then that then could form part of the analysis as part of ground F. But of course, if you're then asking them to remove it, you can't do it on the flip side. So a lot of the analysis that I get involved in is considering whether what, what is the holding? What are the premises? What are fixtures? What aren't fixtures? What are alterations? What have become part of the premises? So, yeah, there's quite a lot of analysis goes into that sort of thing, which then plays into yeah the wider kind of what is the scope of the work? So, yeah, I thought I'd just mention that as we were as I was thinking of closing remarks. Yeah, that's a really good point, Chris. Thank you very much for that. Um, 
So lots of interesting thoughts there on one of our very favourite areas of the 1954 Act, which is Ground F. Um, if you want some more information about it, do let us know. Uh, we have a surveyor's refresher area on our website that we can give you access to, which has some uh, more guidance when it comes to satisfying uh, Ground F requirements. Uh, other than that, I will just uh, wish you all well and say thank you very much uh, to Chris and Georgina and to all of you for listening to us. This is a Charles Russell Speechley's podcast.